0: My name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you all this morning. Next Sunday, which is the official beginning of our journey towards Christmas, is the anticipation of God's promised Messiah that was coming into the world. And for followers of Jesus, these many years later, it is also the anticipation of that same Jesus who has promised that he is coming again. Amen? So unofficially today, we're going to be introducing our theme for this year, which is a simple Christmas. Now, in a world that is increasingly fast-paced, time-starved, overloaded with stimulation and information, uh, where more is always better and too much is never enough most of us recognize, I think, at least on some level, that we could all use a greater measure of simplicity in our lives. And so as we enter into Christmas season, we know that the, the pace and the intensity of our time and our, and our relationships will, will feel like it's going to increase exponentially the closer we get to Christmas, right? Right? And I'd also like to suggest that with the continued sense of disorientation that we're all experiencing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the challenge to continue to figure out what, is it, what does it look like to find a new sense of normal in this world that is emerging post-pandemic, post-modern, even post-church, as we've been talking about here at Faith Covenant Church, the idea of focusing this year on pursuing a simple Christmas is to take an opportunity for us to both reset our expectations, but also possibly to recalibrate our understanding of what Christmas is really all about. And so in that spirit, I want to invite you to pray with me one more time and ask for God's blessing as we look into his word this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that in the darkness of our lives, you continue to shine the light of your love and your mercy and your grace. And we ask through the power of your spirit now this morning, would you speak your word to us? As we look into the scriptures and remember parts of the Advent story, would you speak to our hearts about that word that we need to hear and take away this morning, that is our word from you, that that helps us to know that as we go from this place, not only have we met with the living God this morning, but we go out in the spirit of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit to be your light in the darkness and to bring your love to a lost and a hurting world. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In many ways, the beauty and the simplicity of the Christmas message is expressed very poetically in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, that many of us are familiar with, where Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And jumping to verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. But before we jump into our series, I think it's important that we acknowledge a couple things if we're going to talk about a simple Christmas. The first thing that I think is really important to acknowledge is that simple is not always easy, right? Sometimes the simple thing can actually be the harder thing. And the second thing I want to acknowledge is that simple is not simplistic. See, a simple solution to a problem provides a clear path forward while accounting for all of the complexities that still exist. Whereas a simplistic solution tends to not acknowledge the complexity, and as a result, it kind of creates more complexity. Making something simple means you make it clearer to hear, easier to understand, or to absorb, or to take action on, but but to make something simplistic means that you've kind of missed the, the larger context or the nuance, right? Or you've left out key elements that were critical to understanding, and so you've ignored the possible outcomes, which are often less desirable than we would usually want. And so part of the challenge in this that I'd like to suggest for us as we enter into this series on a simple Christmas is that in many ways in our society in which we live and and in many ways as a church, we have been enculturated into the very society that we are a part of. So perhaps even in the church, we have lost the simplicity of Christmas by making it too simplistic. As a result, we've created a a whole lot of greater complexity around the holiday season while at the same time missing the nuance, leaving out key elements of the story, and possibly even ignoring many of the outcomes that we are living into and experiencing today as a people as we blithely go through another holiday season. And so this is what I want to spend some time digging into and talking about in the weeks ahead as we anticipate what a simple Christmas might look like for us this year. And getting back to a simple Christmas won't necessarily be easy what we may find is it may be one of the hardest things that God is asking us to do in our affluent, prolifically, materialistic, expandingly expensive Christmas to come back to the simple meaning and purpose of Christmas might be the greatest challenge we've had to face in a long time. But in doing so, we're not seeking to ignore the complexities of life and the challenging realities in which we find ourselves. Rather, our desire is to bring a greater focus and clarity to what Christmas is supposed to be so that a better understanding of the holiday season might allow us to be better shaped by the story that we revisit at this time every year so that we can perhaps begin to take new action in our own lives and in our own relationships so that we too can perhaps have a greater experience of God who is coming to be with us as Emmanuel again in this Christmas season. The prophecy of Isaiah, which predicted the coming of Messiah into the world, also points us to another part of the biblical story that I want to take us to today, and we're going to spend a little time there in this Advent season. It comes after the birth of Jesus, and together with the prophecy of Isaiah and other promises of God in the Old Testament, gives us a greater context in which we can understand the meaning of Christmas and how we could begin to wrap our minds around what God might be inviting us to experience this year. And what we see in the Bible is that the story of Jesus is intertwined with other people and other characters that God also prepared and God also called to be a part of the revelation of the coming of Messiah and his plan to bring salvation to the world. People whom God ordained to be a part of Jesus' life and uh, therefore to be a part of God's word to us. One of those people was John the Apostle, who was the beloved disciple. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw Jesus do miracles, and he even saw Jesus alive after he died, who then wrote the Gospel of John to help point us to the identity and the meaning of this Messiah who God had promised who had now come into the world. And in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, he tells us, in the beginning was the Word, And the Word was God. And the Word or the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. See, as he mentions the light, he's echoing the words of Isaiah chapter 9 and the promise that a great light would be dawning in the world of humanity. And in verse 5, he goes on to say, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And in the words of the message, paraphrased a little later in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> And then at this point in the gospel, John the Apostle does a, an odd little twist in, in, in where he takes us in the story. He, he t- begins to tell us about another John who is actually a part of the Christmas story, John the Baptist, who the Christmas story tells us was the cousin of Jesus, who is also a, a part of a prophetic and a miraculous life that God ordained and, and called him with a purpose to be a part of this revelation of, of the Christmas story. John the apostle continues his gospel which essentially means good news and in verse 6 again trying to tell the story of John the Baptist uh, as how the promise of God all the way back in Isaiah chapter 9 was a part of what was happening in the lives of the people at that time he says there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that Children of God. Now, I recognize that John the Baptist might be kind of an odd place to start the story of Advent. But as John the Apostle indicates here in his testimony, this larger moment in history that started with the birth of Jesus, but also culminated in the baptism of Jesus, is the fulcrum point of God's salvation history with his people. And we have to have the whole story to understand the context. You see, it was the moment when, when, when they, the, these people who John was preaching to and who was calling to be baptized in the desert and, and the priests and the Pharisees and the, the Levites who went out to see him, all of these people had been training and preparing their whole lives to be able to witness this moment. They had scriptures and testimonies and traditions and religious rituals and worship services and practices uh, uh, all designed to try and teach them to expect this deliverance of God that would be patterned after their rescue out of Egypt all those years ago and how they could be prepared to be able to know when the Messiah would come so they could see him and experience him and celebrate the good news. And yet, John writes, they missed it. They didn't recognize him. You can also translate that word recognize to know. They they didn't know him. The God who they worship, the God who they claim to love, the God who they patterned their whole lives on shows up, moves into the neighborhood, and they didn't know who he was. John the Apostle begins by stating that this light that was to dawn upon the world has now come. The Messiah is here, he says. And more than that, John the Baptist was sent to tell the people to ring the dinner bell, to say the table has been set, the food is prepared, it's time to come. And yet, despite all of their study of scripture and all of their rabbinic training and discipleship, all of their holy feasts, their religious rituals, their worship services, all designed to embed the salvation story and the plan of God into their very lives and into their experience of community, God showed up, John says, and the people didn't know him. John the Baptist was sent by God with a purpose to be a witness to this light, to prepare the way of the Lord. He was, in many ways, a disruption to the darkness. And as a part of that disruption, we see that he comes in odd ways, right? He was an odd dude, right? Wearing animal skins, eating locusts and wild honey and living out in the desert. This is some guy, I don't know what you would think of him, right? but he points people to the ancient prophecies of God that mirrored who he was and what his call was and his role in the life of his people that would point people to the the arrival of a Messiah in all the ways that the scriptures had foretold that he would come. And the very people who had spent their entire lives studying and being trained and going to church... (laughs) As they hear him say, this is it, the time's now, the Messiah has arrived. John the apostle says, all he got was crickets. He goes on in verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. No. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you say, what do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet again, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This group of religious leaders, those most trained to see and to understand the coming of Messiah, have clearly been assigned to go out and take an assessment of who John is and this message that he's preaching and this ministry that he's performing among the people. And we see John pointing attention away from himself, that it's not about him, that he's not there to to glorify himself, but he's identifying this ancient prophecy from Isaiah 40, verse 3, where he's not only saying that that his arrival and his ministry is a fulfillment of this prophecy and the promise of God but in this very moment the Messiah is actually here on planet earth among you and you you might not even realize it but but he's right next door he's moved into the neighborhood and you're missing it. What should have been one of the most exciting stupendous mind-blowing celebratory experiences in the life of God's people fades out with a whimper in the desert along the river. Instead, the Pharisees become confused, it says. Verse 24, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah nor the prophet? Basically, they're saying, if you're not the Messiah, why are you doing the things that Messiah should be doing or that we would expect Messiah to do? Why are you baptizing people for repentance? That's that's kind of what they expected the Messiah would be doing. And notice John's response in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water. My ministry only uses the physical tools of this world and the symbols of religion that we've inherited from God that he's taught us to pursue that point people to the the one who will go beyond symbols and rituals and myths to bring the actual saving power of God through the Holy Spirit when his presence comes and his ministry is inaugurated and we see the kingdom of God manifest on earth. And then as we've just been saying, he drops the real bomb. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And this last portion, which essentially summarizes for us the whole point that John the Apostle is trying to make in his gospel, highlights both the beauty and the tragedy of this moment In the history of God's people, the one who comes with the presence and the power of God to redeem God's people and fulfill the prophetic promises of God, the straps of whose sandals John said he's not even worthy to touch. He's already among us. He's here. He's living with us. The community where Jesus lived is likely he had friends and neighbors who knew him and, 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 and this Messiah that God had promised was standing right there among them. Maybe Jesus was even in the crowd that day. Nobody knew who he was. And the tragedy that both John's identity, John, both Johns identify within Advent is the story of the king who came and yet was missed by so many people. And I want to challenge us to to, to consider the possibility that this story remains true for us today as well that in the season of Advent and this journey towards Christmas, that that we're invited to participate each year to remember the promises of God and the the coming of Jesus into the world and to reflect on where his story intersects our story in the midst of our increasingly fast-paced, time-starved lives that are overloaded with stimulation and information where more is better and too much is never enough. Is it possible that we too, are vulnerable to the risk that if we're not careful, we may miss Jesus standing right among us. Maybe within an overly simplistic attitude towards Christmas that we see in our society today, which has only served to make the holiday more complex, is it possible that we've lost the simplicity of Emmanuel, of God with us? Is it possible that in the midst of the ongoing disruption of the normal in our lives, that God may be presenting with us with an opportunity to have our eyes open in new ways and to have our ears opened to, to the word of God in our lives this season, to hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And maybe a more challenging question could be, can we allow this voice to become a holy disruption in our lives that awakens us to the presence and the power of Jesus, who theologically, at least we claim, we know is right. If so, we need to try and understand why did the people in Jesus' day who were so studied and so trained and so practiced and so prepared to witness the Messiah, why did they seem to miss him? And if they were so prepared, how can we expect that that we're not going to fall into the same trap and perhaps experience the same kind of blindness that, that that shrouded their eyes to the presence of Jesus in their midst? Well, first thing I would like to suggest is that we know that part of the challenge was that Jesus did not come in the way that the priests and the Pharisees thought he should, nor did he come in the way that the people had hoped that he would. Right? They wanted a, a warrior king that was going to fight. They wanted a conquering hero, a political figure that was going to overthrow, overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire and establish a new government and, and, and get all of the political turmoil sorted out and, and so that we could have peace and that, and that the kingdom of God could come in a physical way. And even the prophecy that they were banking on right, said that he would be a ruler of the government and a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and a prince. Who would be ruling? And yet now, all these years later, in retrospect, we can look back and through the stories of the Bible, we can see that their expectation and their mistaken interpretation of who he would be and how he would come and what he would do was ultimately part of what led to the blindness that prevented them from seeing him when he arrived. Right? This poor carpenter from backwater Nazareth born in podunk rural village Bethlehem, in an animal feeding trough no less, a bastard child to to those who knew the family and, and probably to those who heard the story, right? How could he be anything that we're looking for? And yet what we see is that some of them missed him, not because he was too humble, but I want to suggest because they were not humble enough. And that leads us to our main takeaway for a simple Christmas today is that simplicity begins with humility. Simplicity begins with humility. We might ask ourselves, how do we prepare ourselves to recognize Jesus in our own lives? What are those things that might cause us to miss the reality of his presence In this season. I I just want to suggest two things that we'll work through fairly quickly to try and get to the end today. But first, I'd like to suggest humility leads us to honestly confront our own circumstances. Humility leads us to honestly confront our own circumstances. And then it requires that we ultimately surrender our own crowns. Let's look at the first one. It can be easy to look at those people all those years ago, right? Those people and the priests and to to kind of sit in judgment until I start to consider my own attitudes in my relationship with Jesus, right? And all the ways that I can look back and I can realize that I had my own expectations and my own understanding of what I thought Jesus should be doing for me and how when he didn't do what I thought he should do, when when I thought he should do it, I wondered, well, is he even there? Does he even care? Where is God in the midst of the darkness and the pain of my life? I've often realized that I have made my understanding of Jesus overly simplistic and simply way off the mark, which has often complicated my relationship with God and made it more confusing rather than have the clarity of understanding that no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm experiencing, God is Emmanuel. He is with me in the midst of that moment. Now, he might not change it immediately, he might not take the pain away, he might not make it easy, but he promises that he'll go through it with me. And as I began to realize that Jesus was in the midst of my own darkness, feeling the pain that I was feeling, and even crying the tears that I was crying with me, my intimacy with God took on a whole new meaning. And the reality is that each one of us carries an idea about who Jesus should be to us and what we think he should be doing for us and how we think he should act on our behalf or on behalf of those we love. But like the people in Jesus' day, we have to ask ourselves if our expectations of Jesus come more from who God says he is or from our own expectations of who we think we want God to be for us. Because I think we can get those a little confused sometimes. Christmas is one of the most loved holiday seasons of the year. It's often filled with joy and merriment and celebration. In fact, one of our modern secular prophets who we call pop singers, Andy Williams, right? Circa 1963 tells us, it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet we also know that the Christmas season can be a time that highlights and reveals some of the deeper painful realities of our lives that include experiences of disappointment and frustration and loss and grief and pain And we might be tempted to ask, if God really is in my midst, why is my life the way it is? Because if God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. If God loved me and knew what I was going through, he'd take this pain away. If God loved me and God cared about me, he wouldn't let me suffer this physical ailment in a a chronic way and never experience healing. Many of our journeys towards Christmas with a perspective of our life circumstances that that sees God as too small or too distant in his coming and too far away from our present real needs to be able to meet the true deeper need that we carry within us and the anxiety that we feel that it might be possible that we will never feel differently than we do today. Often God's meeting us is slower and messier and more complex than we would want, but that's the message of the manger. And without a a humble heart that patiently waits for the Messiah to be revealed in God's way, in God's time, so that we can see God's love and God's grace at work in ways that are miraculous and powerful and unexpected, Too often we look away to other expectations and desires, hoping that something else is going to fill that need and then claim that God was never with us. You see, the beauty and the simplicity of the Advent story of Jesus is that even though God does not always arrive in the ways that we think he should, Or at the time that we expect him to, we learn that nonetheless, he is the God who has arrived and is with us. And because Jesus is alive, we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the presence and the love of God. Amen? And if we're willing to shift our perspective back to the reality of God's promises of his presence and his power that the Christmas story is supposed to remind us about, despite how we think he should come, we can gain a a greater sense of humility in the midst of our circumstances that helps us to avoid the possibility that we might miss his presence when he's standing right next to us. And so Advent is for all those who know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, who are longing and anticipating for a new world and a better world, and, and, and the way that God had promised that, that we would experience the joy and the fulfillment of His creation and His kingdom when, when all things are made new, and yet who also know that even in this side of heaven, we, we worship a God who is good, who has perfect timing. And that because Jesus is alive and in our midst, he is with us. His light shines even in the darkest places that we might experience. Which leads us to the second point. For some of us, our ability to recognize God in this Advent season is not so much going to be connected to our life circumstances, but it's going to be connected to our hearts. Right? Sometimes the coming of God into our world is not a, a comfort But it's a disruption. And the story of the coming of Messiah is the story of the inauguration of a kingdom that with it comes a king. And when the true king walks into the room, all lesser kingdoms are revealed. In Advent, we see that the one kingdom that will last forever is being revealed by God and that ultimately there is only one king who can rule. And for many, that's a problem. In Christmas, it becomes too easy to reduce God to the simplistic story of the helpless baby in the manger and the cute farm animals that come to to keep him warm at night and the the star that shines in the sky that, that we can sing, away in the manger. which then allows us to behave as if there's nothing more to the story and it has no greater demand on our lives and in our choices and and our behaviors and in our relationships. Yet in the end, it only allows us to overlook his presence in our lives, to dismiss his power and to again, miss his presence in our lives. I mean, you guys remember King Herod, right? He was ruling when Jesus was born. He understood this. He knew that a king in his midst would challenge his own kingdom and his ability to rule in the way that he wanted to. And just hearing rumors from a few wise men who had come from the east that a, a king was being born in his midst causes him to, to get upset, and, 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 he, and his paranoia about losing his power causes him to live the rest of his life working to eradicate the presence and the power of God in his kingdom. So much so that he embarks upon a genocide among his own people to try and keep this coming king at bay. What lengths are you willing to go to this Christmas to stiff-arm God and keep Jesus at bay in your own life? Because Advent is also for those of us who need to remember, we're not the king. We're not the rightful rulers of our own lives and failing to recognize the true king that's standing right here in our midst will cost you the opportunity of truly knowing God and experiencing who God is, the God who is with you and more than that, the God who is for you. God is not against you. God doesn't want to ruin your fun. God doesn't want to stifle your creativity and, 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 and take all the joy out of life. It's just the opposite. God wants to lead you to springs of living water that well up within you to overflowing joy so that you can experience the true purpose for why God created you and brought you into this world and sent his son to die so that you can experience the new life of the presence of God's spirit within you. And so God's arrival in Jesus is an invitation for us to truly begin to recognize that that Jesus, that King, is the one who is here in our midst. But it's also a recognition that if we're going to see Jesus and accept Jesus and receive him for who he is, it means that we need to humbly get on our knees and lay our crowns at his feet. Simplicity begins with humility. Advent is for those of us who need to surrender our crowns, And to see God in the midst of our painful circumstances so that we can see maybe for the first time or maybe perhaps for the first time in a long time that Jesus really is here. He really does care and he really wants to shine his light in the darkness of your situation, whatever it may be. As we anticipate Jesus' arrival this Christmas... We're invited to begin to have our eyes open in ways that are new so that we can experience the coming king who wants nothing more to bring his healing and his wholeness and his kingdom into our lives. The question we're left with is will we recognize him or not? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Christmas. And for the story of Jesus coming to be with us and that in Jesus, we recognize your divine presence and your divine promise coming to fulfillment, who is the one who brings us back to you and rescues us from the darkness of our lives. And so we ask God for your forgiveness for the ways that we have doubted you in the midst of our circumstances, for the ways that we've resisted you on the throne of our lives. And we ask God that as we journey to Christmas this year, would you soften our hearts and open our eyes to see your presence among us so that we can experience your healing power to save us, to redeem us, and to use us to be light in the darkness as you call us to be your church in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.